two things really from uh, this short passage. When I say short passage, I mean verses 1 to 3. Firstly, who Ezekiel was and how he came to be where he was. And secondly, Ezekiel's task. Now, Ezekiel was a priest, and it is assumed that because we have that uh, uh, verse in verse 3 where it says, Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans. And it would assume that Ezekiel, if you like, came from the higher ranks of society at that time. But of course, he's an exile. He's no longer in Jerusalem or in Judah. He is in captive in Babylon. And the year is 592 BC. Ezekiel was taken to Babylon in 597 BC along with King Jehoiachim. And if uh, I would just re- go back to uh, refer to two kings and uh, chapter 24, which will help us with that. 2 Kings 24 and verse 14. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths None remained, save the poorest sort of the people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon. And the king's mother and the king's wives and his officers and the mighty of the land, those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And all the men of might, even 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, a thousand all that were strong and apt for war, even them the king of Babylon, brought captive to Babylon. And uh, a bit more of that in 2 Kings chapter 25 and verse 27, we read this, and it came to pass in the seventh, seven and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in that year, that he began to reign, did lift up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, out of prison. So we know what happened to King Jehoiakim. And uh, verse 1, Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. And uh, many people would suggest that is the uh, a reference to Ezekiel's age. Uh, because that would mean Ezekiel would be 30 years old. And that means he would have been taken into exile when he was 25 years old. Now, if you work that back, you'll find that if that was so, his boyhood 
would have been spent under the reformation of King Josiah. And what a blessing it is to have a godly influence in our lives. What a blessing it is to be part of a Christian family. Those of you that are, are very blessed indeed. Truly blessed that the Lord has granted you to be born into a Christian family and to grow up in a Christian family and to learn from that family. But of course, some, many perhaps, are not. But uh, godly influence. Never, ever, ever think it's never essential. It's a reminder to us who are parents. Some of us have children who love the Lord and serve the Lord. Some of us have children who don't. And what do we do? We don't just ignore them. We don't uh, let them be, do we? We, we pray I just, every day on our knees, pleading with the Lord to break into their lives, to draw them to Christ, to save them. Because we love them, don't we? We love our children. And uh, those of us who are grandparents, we pray for our grandchildren. Some of them may be growing up in a godly home, some may not. But they're certainly not growing up in a godly society. They're growing up in a society that wants to take them as far away from God as possible. So hey, we need to pray for our grandchildren. And then there may be other children that we know, friends' children and so on. And then the value and the ministry of Sunday school teaching. And it can have an effect years later. I remember when I was at, um, in Wandsworth, at the church at the top of the at West Hill, we had a, a, a widow there, a lady widow. She, uh, she used to come out on the doors with me. And her testimony was this. When she was a child, her mum and dad sent her to a, a mission hall in Shepherd's Bush. And she went to Sunday school there. She got to the age of about 13, 14, and she'd left. She went into the world. She got a job. She got married. And her husband died quite young. And at the funeral, the vicar preached the gospel. And her words, her testimony is this. It all came back to me as though it was yesterday. I'm talking about 50 years gap. It all came back to me as though yesterday. So we must never give up praying for people. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we keep on praying. And maybe even the Lord will answer our prayers after we've gone to glory. What an important ministry it is, teaching children the gospel. So it's such a blessing and an encouragement to, 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 to pray for the work of an organised like, like United Beach Missions. The amount of children they reach on the beaches and uh, other places. Christian camps and things like that, so important. You see, Ezekiel, being the son 
of a priest would be devoted from his birth to the service of God. And again, it's a reminder, isn't it? Hey, we need to pray for our children. And Ezekiel was, say, 30 years old. Now, this is a very important stage in his life. If we go back into the book of Numbers, and Numbers chapter 4, and verse 23, we read this. From 30 years old and upward unto 50 years old shalt thou number them. All that enter into the perform the service to do the work in the tabernacle and of the congregation. And in the same chapter, verse uh, 43, from 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years old, everyone that entereth into the service for the work in the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, we are given an exact date when Ezekiel was there by the side of the Kibar River. And we know from reading through this, the book of Ezekiel that he, as Ezekiel, was given a divinely appointed task by the Lord himself. Now, remember that Ezekiel is a priest and he's also the son of a priest. His whole life has been dominated by his calling. And he was very much aware of the responsibility put on him by his priestly office. And now in this time of Ezekiel's life, there in Babylon, we read in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And in verse 3, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the river Kibar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. So there is this man, he's in, he's in a, a place he probably didn't want to go to, Babylon, surrounded by idolatry and all that it's, Babylon stood for, the cruelty and everything. And he has a vision of God. I saw visions of God. There he sees a display of the divine glory. And God was going to come to anoint Ezekiel for a particular ministry. And of course, there are other examples within the scriptures that we could look at, look at uh, where the Lord comes to an individual. Um, one I'm sure you're very, very familiar with from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, 
Holy, holy is the Lord, God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if we move into the, uh, the next book in the scriptures, into Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You see, Ezekiel received a definite call to his ministry. And the same applies today. We may not have a, uh, uh, as he had, a vision of God. But for any believer, unless there is the call of God on their lives, they, he, she, will never, ever be able to serve the Lord effectively. And this applies to all Christian ministry. It doesn't just apply to the pulpit, important as that is. It doesn't just apply to the officers of the church. It applies to every believer, whatever their ministry is. Now, just a few, a very small few, are called to the preaching ministry. But as I say, all Christians are called to one ministry of one form or another. So much that is taken in a, in a church setup can be taken for granted. The ordinary mundane service of getting the tea ready, for example, making sure the washing up's done. No one wants to drink a cup of tea out of a dirty cup, do they? I can tell you, when you're in London City Mission, you might have to, but that's another story. Um, it's all important. It makes the whole thing function, doesn't it? I mean, you take the service this morning. Someone is a, has to open the door. Someone has to put the lights on. Someone pulls the curtains back. Someone makes sure there's things in the loo that you might need. And, and all these minor things, we don't think about it, do we? just happens. It only happens because somebody does it. Somebody brings the flowers. Somebody plays the music. And so on. But of course, we have to beware of ambition. Our last pastor we had when we were in London had a theory that there are some people in the ministry because they couldn't do anything else. There may be some truth in that. Maybe there are some. I'm sure you do you remember Mr. Collins in Pride and Prejudice. How would you fancy having him give you a visit? You see, the church is not a business. The church is a living fellowship of men, women, and boys and girls who are born again of the Spirit of God. That's the church. And we don't run it like a business. 
We don't use worldly methods to run it. And having someone with a business ability, you know, they may be able to run a big corporation effectively, efficiently, but put them in a church ministry and they, they might fail terribly. Because you've got ability in one area doesn't mean to say that you can just automatically go into the church. I remember many years ago when doing an open-air meeting at, um, at Hyde Park, at Speaker's Corner, and someone said, wouldn't it be good, I don't know if you remember this man, if Arthur Scargill got converted, he's a very good orator, and someone said, we don't need him. I say we, the Lord doesn't need him. The Lord can raise up whoever he wishes to take him. So you don't need to take somebody out of the world just because they've got a certain ability and put them in the church because they could be completely out of place. We must never, ever be tempted to bring worldly values worldly techniques into the Christian ministry. And that applies to everything, preaching, worship, evangelism, the whole lot. Now, to preach, of course, is a very high and holy calling. And with it, of course, it carries a great responsibility. And we, we are to pray for those who are in this privileged position especially that the Lord would not just give them the ministry of preaching, but a love for the ministry. So easy to think, I've done this before, I'll just go and do it again. So easy to take the Lord for granted I'll do and end up doing it in your own strength. And hey, we need to pray that as the Lord raises up godly men to preach the word of God, he'll keep them humble and servant-like. Now, God called Ezekiel for a particular ministry in his day. And there is a need, of course, that we need to pray for the call of God Today, for men in the ministry. And I don't just mean the pulpit, I do mean the ministry of the gospel. You see, it's not rather the call of men that we want. It's the call of God on men. And there's a huge difference. And as we read through the book of Ezekiel, you see that the hand of the Lord is upon this man and it's a recurring theme, the hand of the Lord. Now, Ezekiel experienced a special power and special influence overruled by the Spirit of God. And he was the one called to do or to get to do the divine means of communication. Now, tragically, today, preaching in many places is in decline. 
We live in the days of the 10-minute sermonette or homily. We live in the days when preaching is replaced by singing or ritual or praise or ministry time or whatever it may be called. You see, the preaching of the word of God must be central in every church or true church. And the word of God must be central in every true believer. And every, anyone who would work for the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever capacity has to have the word of God central in their lives. That is the word of God. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. Open Bible, what does it signify? Do you ever read, look at it? Why it's opened at that page? See, the name Ezekiel actually means God strengthens. And the Lord does that. The Lord strengthened Ezekiel. As you read through, he had such a hard ministry. But he does that today. The Lord does not call people and then leave them. If the Lord calls you to a ministry of evangelism, he enables you and he goes with you. If he calls you to a ministry of giving eight tracts or putting through through the doors, he goes with you. And we can rely on that. It's not something that some get it and some don't. Those who the Lord calls, he equips. And whatever, whatever your God-given task, and I stress God-given task, he, the Lord, will equip you and enable you for it. Through the good times and through the bad times and every circumstance. Now, as I say, Ezekiel was an exile there in Babylon. And he, if you like, was one of the people that he was sent to minister to. He wasn't aloof from them. He didn't go off in a holy huddle somewhere. God gave him a ministry to the people that he lived amongst. And because he was there with them, because he rubbed shoulders with them, he was able to identify with them. He too was an exile. He too had been dragged out of his home in Jerusalem and taken off by force to Babylon, like all the rest of them. That common experience, he could say, I know, I've been there. And there's a lesson for us here that we too are to seek to get alongside the people we try to reach with the gospel. We cannot be aloof from them. We cannot just come a holy huddle, a religious clique in the middle of town. We need to get out where they are and get alongside them and 
minister where we can. And notice that the Spirit came to Ezekiel in Babylon. And again, you see, it just shows that the Spirit is not confined. He wasn't confined to Jerusalem or Israel. He comes to Babylon, the center of of aggression, of, of, of violence, of vice, of immorality. God goes there to a man there to equip him to minister there as well. You see, the Lord is at work everywhere. I would challenge anyone to show me one square inch on this earth where he is not Lord of. He is sovereign everywhere. And that means he's sovereign in the places where he puts us. He's put Victoria from our church in Morocco. It's not easy for him there. But the Lord's put them there. The Lord's keeping them there. We used to do a sketch and um, with a sketchboard. And, it, and, the, que- and the, the question was, who lives here? And so what we would do, you would draw a picture of an igloo and someone would say, Eskimo. And then you do a wigwam and someone would write, say, well, they didn't say Native American. They say today, Indians. And then we'd put a church and they'd say, God. we say, no. He doesn't live here. You see, God is where his people are. And they may be with them in churches at times, but he's with his people. And you see, Ezekiel's call here is individual. You know, I saw visions of God. The hand of the Lord was there upon him. He was the one that God raised up to fulfill the prophetic office to the exiles. Now, of course, in the higher circles of the country and or the place of Babylon, the Lord had Daniel. But Daniel moved, if he seemed to be in the courtly circles. He was there with Nebuchadnezzar and Darius later on and so on. Now, yourselves, you may be the only Christian where you work. You may be the only Christian in your home. You may be the only Christian in your street. You may be the only Christian in your club or social thing you evolved in. There you have an individual calling. Because some people will only hear the gospel from you. You take your neighbours that you know. They trust you. They probably do all sorts of things for you as you do things for them. You have an opening and a way in there that if anyone else from here comes along the road and bangs on their door, they say, I'm too busy. You know, you have such an advantage with so many people 
that we don't, you don't have to go out in the middle of the high street in Helsham to find people. Although if the Lord calls you to do that, well, all good and well. And all the time, we need to pray and trust in the Lord to help us. And if we are willing, and that's a big if, of course, and if we're prepared, then the Lord will use even us to rebuke people as is required or to comfort them as appropriate today. He will use even us, even people like you and me, to deal with the hearts and consciences of men. What a privilege it is to be a Christian. Do you really believe that this morning? That you've been chosen, elected, granted a place in glory, in a few years' time maybe, maybe shorter, we don't know. What a privilege it is to be a Christian. What a privilege it is to share Christ with people. To share Christ with other people, whether they be people we know or strangers. I trust that the Lord will give us opportunities. But we also need desire. We need desire to see people saved. And then we need to put that desire into action. That's the more difficult bit, perhaps. What a wonderful thing is the gospel is. I look back and what it took me from, what it's put me into. I remember once speaking to a man in, in London and he said, he used to be deeply into drugs and he said, one day he said, I was lying in the gutter and the only thing I could do was look up. You know, no one is above redemption. What a privilege it is to share Christ with people who are lost and no hope. May the Lord help us. And perhaps, more importantly, may the Lord convict us to ask ourselves, when was the last time I talked to someone about Jesus? Apart from my people in the church. Let's just pray for a moment, shall we? Our dear, gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that it's a gospel that saves sinners. And for many of us here this morning, it saved us. Lord, we pray you will give us a love for the lost and a desire to do what we can to win people for Christ. And Lord, we would all say, hey, we need your gracious help to do that ministry. You were with Ezekiel. You will be with us. Help us, Lord, to firmly 
and solidly trust you for all that we need. We ask you for your gracious help in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our last hymn is number 440. For my sake and the gospels go and tell redemption's story. His herald's answer, be it so, and thine, Lord, all the glory. They preach his birth, his life, his cross, the love of his atonement, and whom they came the world but lost, his Easter, his enthronement. Hymn number 440. <laughs> 